0: Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite, O God. Contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise the Word of the Lord. Be to God. Well, good morning, Trinity. Good morning. Uh, I know I've met many of you in the past, but it's been long enough that i 've probably forgotten everyone, so forgive me you'll just ha- I, I love these name tags. This is wonderful for me, so it's great to be here, and it's great to celebrate the baptisms, confirmation, and new pastors. And I mean, looks like the church has grown. I mean, just a lot of good things, good vibes. This is this is fun to see. So thank you for having me. It's a privilege to be a part of this. Um, today I want to talk about repentance, and I sort of feel like let me pass that off to you. It's a little bit of a downer, huh? We're like all celebrating, and now let's, let's talk about repentance, sinners. Let's, talk, let's get down. And, um, because, well, that, that word can have some negative connotations, right? You think of hellfire brimstone preachers that are out just condemning everybody. Or, or repentance is just, it makes us look at the worst things about ourselves. That's kind of painful, It's kind of scary. Again, it's just kind of a downer. John Ortberg, a uh, pastor and author, shares this personal story. Some years ago, we traded in my old Volkswagen Super Beetle for our first piece of new furniture, a mauve sofa. It was roughly the shade of Pepto-Bismol, but because it represented to us a substantial investment, we thought mauve sounded better. The man at the furniture store warned us not to get it when he found out we had small children. You don't want a mauve sofa, he advised. Get something the color of dirt. But we had the naive optimism of young parenthood. We know how to handle our children. We said, give us the mauve sofa. From that moment on, we all clearly knew the number one rule in the house. Do not sit on the mauve sofa. Do not touch the mauve sofa. Do not play around the mauve sofa. Do not eat on it, breathe on it, look at it, or think about the mauve sofa. Remember the forbidden tree in the Garden of Eden? On every other chair in the house, you may freely sit. But on this sofa, (laughs) the mauve sofa, you may not sit, for on the day thereupon you sit, you shall surely die. <laughs> then came the fall. One day there appeared on the mo sofa a stain. A red stain. A red jelly stain. So my wife, who had chosen the mo sofa and adored it, lined up our three children in front of it. Laura, age four, Mallory, two and a half, and Johnny. Six months. (laughs) Do you see that, children? She asked. That's a stain. A red stain. A red jelly stain. The man at the sofa store says, it's not coming out. Not forever. Do you know how long forever is, children? That's how long we're going to stand here until one of you tells me who put the stain on the mauve sofa. Mallory was the first to break with trembling lips and tear-filled eyes. She said, Laura did it. (laughs) Laura passionately denied it. Then there was silence for the longest time. No one said a word. I knew the children wouldn't, for they had never seen their mother so upset. I knew they wouldn't, because they knew if they did, they would spend eternity in the timeout chair. I knew they wouldn't, because... I was the one who put the red jelly stain on the mo sofa, <laughs> and I knew I wasn't saying anything. <laughs> yeah, you know, admitting, confessing mistakes, that's hard, scary. It's a lot easier to deny, to remain silent. But today, I hope you'll find repentance to be a path toward healing, toward joy toward freedom, toward life in the Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, when the disciples first received the Holy Spirit, Peter gets up in front of this huge crowd and explains to them, this Jewish crowd, that they had crucified Jesus, Jesus whom God had raised from the dead. And by being raised from the dead, showing that Jesus, this Jesus is Lord, the one they crucified, is the risen Messiah. They were cut to the heart, convicted, grieved, horrified, and they said to Peter, so what are we supposed to do? What do do we do? Peter replies, Acts chapter two, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent, turn to Jesus for forgiveness, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's not just a one-time thing, like when you first become a Christian. No, we, we continue to repent, to turn to Jesus for forgiveness, and to receive the Holy Spirit. That that's a picture of what the Christian life is supposed to look like. That repentance is part of living in the Spirit, living the Christian life. And what is repentance? Repentance is a complete change of orientation, including how we think, how we feel, what we do. It's like you're driving down in one direction, you stop the car, you turn around, and you drive in the other direction. It's a turning away from sin and toward God. Repentance, it's like like medicine. It's something we need because we're sick. And that sickness is called sin. David writes in Psalm 66, if I had cherished sin in my heart, God would not have listened. That sin gets in the way of our relationship with God. It's a spiritual sickness. It also gets in the way of our relationship with others as well. I'm sure you're familiar with the story of King David. He had committed adultery with this Woman named Bathsheba, and then to cover it up, she ordered that Bathsheba's husband be ordered to the front lines of battle, effectively ensuring that he would be killed. And so he is. Nathan, eventually, this prophet Nathan, notice we had a Nathan baptized or confirmed this morning, um, stands up and confronts the king of Israel. You're the man. And then David, realizing his cover's blown, it's all exposed he repents. And that repentance is recorded for us in Psalm 51, where he writes, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. David understood sin would get in the way of his relationship with God, and that sin would move him away from the Spirit. Well, repentance is how we deal with that sin, right? How we restore our relationship with God, how we move toward the Spirit so we can find healing and forgiveness and joy. So how do we repent? How do we repent? And not just once, but how do we live a lifestyle of repentance? A few things. Number one, we need to see our sin. For some of us, I imagine we see our sins pretty painfully, and we constantly beat ourselves up for these obvious, horrible failures, and we struggle with perpetual guilt. You're like, that's not my problem, Pastor. I see my sin far too clearly, so it seems. Others of us, we don't really see ourselves as bad people. We don't think of ourselves as sinners. We don't struggle that way. We don't feel that bad. In fact, our lives, I mean, look at you nice Trinity church folk, you know, baptizing and confirming people and like, you know, you're nice, holy, good church people. And so it seems that our lives are nice and clean and put together. We don't feel that bad. I confess, like that's one of my struggles. I don't feel like I'm a bad person. I mean, I think I'm like at least above average. I mean, maybe even higher than that. You know, like I don't feel like I'm a a wretched sinner. Yet, to live a life of repentance, we need to see our sin. And even for those of us who think we do see our sin, I would like to suggest that maybe we don't, or at least not in its fullness. I'd like to suggest that we all, some greater and some less, have a bias to not see our sin. We have a self-protective instinct so that even, even for those of us who struggle with guilt, we have these blind spots and these protective instincts so that we, we don't have to see the full depth and breadth of our sin. Think about David. David was a, a holy man, right? A man after God's own heart. I mean, if there was a spiritual giant of his day, David's got to be I mean, he, he like wrote all these psalms that we like reuse in Scripture. I mean, how many of us can claim that, you know, well, I've written a few chapters in the Bible, you know. Like, I mean, he was a holy man, and yet this holy man commits adultery and murder. And he doesn't repent, at least not right away, not until Nathan calls him out. You see, for David, the problem wasn't just adultery and murder and the cover-up. The problem was a deeper spiritual blindness that didn't feel a need to repent, that didn't see the depth and ugliness of his own sin. Because sin is deceitful. Like we have an incredible ability to rationalize, to explain, to defend, to excuse. It's, it's, it's not my fault, you know. It's a situation. It's, it's the other guy. It's, it's the weather. It's the traffic. It's the dog. You know, it's whatever. And I see this whenever I help troubled marriages. I mean, it's just so classic in couples, you know. It's always the other person. It's not my fault. It's the if, the if only she would, if only he could, if only the other person. I mean, almost never in those situations do I see the person go, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I, I failed so many times, and I don't even see how much I failed. Could you help me? <laughs> like, never, never. It's like, can you help my other person? Can you help her see what the problem is? We don't see our sin. We don't want to see our sin. There is not just blindness. There is avoidance. Because sin is deceitful. We become convinced we're really not that bad. It's not my fault. Hebrews talks about the deceitfulness of sin, right? That none of you may be hardened. By the deceitfulness of sin. That's another layer. We sin, we are deceived by our sin, and then we become hardened to our sin. We are desensitized to our sin. So sin doesn't even feel like sin anymore. So then how do we see our sin? You might think that as we grow in Christ, as we become more mature, that we would have to repent Less. I would like to suggest it's the contrary, that mature, mature Christians actually repent more. That the mature Christian feels more unworthy and more inadequate. Jonathan Edwards, uh, the pastor and leader of the Great Awakening, in the 18th century, he explains it this way. His language is a little complicated, so just follow closely for a moment here. Jonathan Edwards writes, And therefore, he that has much grace apprehends much more than others the great height to which his love ought to ascend, how much he should love God. And he sees better than others how little away he has risen toward that height. And when he estimates his love by the whole height of his duty, it appears astonishingly little and low in his eyes. It appears exceedingly abominable to them that Christ should be loved so little. He's saying mature Christians, they see more clearly how much they should love God. And relative to that, they see more clearly how far they fall short. And so they are grieved. And they are more remorseful for how little they love Jesus. That repentance is a sign of seeing more and more the worth, holiness, goodness, worthiness of Christ. Jesus says one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin. John 16, but if I go, I will send the Holy Spirit to you and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. John Miller, a pastor and teacher, he says, For the truly repentant sinner has discovered through the renewing work of the Holy Spirit that all his life is full of sin. So we're saying repentance leads us toward life in the Spirit, but it actually goes the other way as well. That We need the Holy Spirit to repent. It's the Holy Spirit that leads us to repentance, that convicts us of our sins, that shows us the great distance from which we fall short. The Holy Spirit, that repentance is then evidence of the work of the Spirit in our lives. What does the Holy Spirit do? What, what, how, why is it that it's the Holy Spirit that leads us to repentance? I'd like to suggest the Holy Spirit is an illuminator. The Holy Spirit turns the lights on it helps us see that where sin had been deceitful, now the Holy Spirit exposes the lies and shows us the truth, right? David, in Psalm 51, who had been so blind and so hardened in Psalm 51, he says, I have done what is evil in your sight. What I want you to consider is, (coughs) David, that earlier day, he was, he was so attracted to Bathsheba, right? So allured. He's so that was so tantalizing. And then he wanted to cover it up, right? And he killed and he. And it was all his choice, all his doing, all what he wanted. And now he looks at what he once wanted and says, yuck! Oh no, that is evil. That is hideous, that is repugnant, that is grievous, yuck. Number two, repentance involves sincere remorse for our sin. We said repentance is a complete change in orientation in not just it, in how we see our sin, how we feel about our sin, that what was once alluring and seductive is now Repugnant and ugly. Isn't that how lust often works? It's just so seductive, so attractive, and it's like the Holy Spirit turns the light on, and then you're like, "Oh my goodness, that is that's gross. That's that's ugly. That is shameful." Or greed and materialism. It can feel like, "Hey, yeah i I want a good life. You know, I want some comforts. I want some pleasures." This is kind of just pursuing a good life. What's wrong with that? And the Holy Spirit turns the light on, and, and then we see, gosh, it's just so shallow. It's so, so selfish, so self-absorbed. Oh, yuck. Or people-pleasing. You know, it's like, yeah, I just want people to appreciate me. I want people to think kindly of me. You know, I don't want a bad reputation. I want a good reputation. I want people to think that I'm a great person. And then the Holy Spirit turns the light on and all that people-pleasing looks so vain, so fearful, so self-centered that popularity just seems so shallow. It's like, yuck. Why am I like living my life for that? Or self-righteousness. Right? Right. We work hard to do what we believe is right. We're trying to be consistent. We're trying to be faithful, and then we notice that other people don't live. Don't, other people don't live the way we believe people should live, and that kind of bothers us. It feels wrong. But then the Holy Spirit turns the light on, and we see this pride, this condescension, this. Lack of graciousness, this hypocrisy and not acknowledging all the other ways we fall short ourselves. And the Holy Spirit turns the light on to expose the deceitfulness of sin and to convict us it is evil in God's sight. Now, I list these because, I confess. Those are mine, that God had to turn the light on to show me the ugliness of my own heart, that I would cry out to say, I have done what is evil in your sight, so that we would have remorse over our sin. That it is odious and repulsive to God and has now become odious and repulsive to ourselves. That repentance involves how we see our sin, how we feel about our sin. Which leads to number three. Repentance involves a cry for mercy. Psalm 51, that's how David starts his prayer. Have mercy on me, O God. Now, I think it's interesting, David, I mean, what a resume he has. He doesn't give excuses or explanations. He doesn't say, hey, now, God, come on, seriously, what's a guy supposed to do? I mean, you put a beautiful, I mean, he doesn't do that, right? He doesn't say, hey, remember Goliath? You know, that was me. I was the one that helped us win that victory. He doesn't say, hey, remember all those Psalms? Remember I wanted to build you a thing? He just says, God, have mercy. On me, without defense, without explanation, without excuse, he begs for mercy. Larry Crabb, a counselor, author, he writes this: "Explanations are requests, not for forgiveness, but for understanding. When we regard our wrong actions as..." understandable. We feel only a little guilty, but meaningful repentance and enduring change requires more than casual confession of guilt. He's saying when we repent, quote, repent, a lot of times what we're really doing is we're just giving excuses. Repentance and excuses, those are different things. You know, Lord, forgive me for being angry with my coworker, but my goodness, she is so picky and so stubborn. How could anyone deal with her, right? That's not repentance. That's explanation. Lord, forgive me for not caring for others, but oh my goodness, you know I've got so many problems of my own. That's not repentance. That's explanation. When we feel that what we've done is understandable, excusable, that's not repentance. That's explanation. Larry Crabb continues, true repentance, true apologies, don't explain They admit, acknowledging the error was without justifiable cause. Repentant people realize that inexcusable wrong can either be judged or forgiven, not understood or overlooked. And so they beg for forgiveness with no thought of deserving it. Repentance means, I got no excuse. Please. Please show mercy. Repentance means we see our sin. We are grieved by our sin. And we ask for mercy knowing we don't deserve it, knowing it is not defendable or excusable. It's saying, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. David recognizes that. David recognizes God doesn't want excuses. God doesn't want our money. God doesn't want our good deeds. God doesn't want us to make it up. He says instead, Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. A broken and contrite heart. Right? See, that's the posture of someone who says, I acknowledge I, am, I messed up. I ask for mercy. Why is it that God wants us to have a broken and contrite heart? Is it because God wants us to grovel? Get down in the dirt, you sinners. Just squirm around a little bit. Doesn't he just want us to feel bad about ourselves? Is that why he likes, yes, broken, contrite heart? Go ahead, guys. On the floor. Let's do it here. is 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 that God? No, that is not God. God is not trying to punish. God is trying to heal us. Because so often in our repentance, there is right underneath that a desire, an instinct to, okay, so I'm going to fix it, God. Here's what I'll do. Here's how I'll make it up. You know, I'm going to turn over. I'm going to try harder, do more. I'll make it right. There's such a strong instinct to justify ourselves. That God is saying, you have to come to a place where you realize you can't fix this. There's nothing you can do to make this right. You are not the answer to your problem. You have to admit this is beyond self-redemption. We have to turn away from any hope that we can save ourselves, redeem ourselves, atone for ourselves. We turn from our sin, and we turn from ourselves, and we turn to God. That's repentance. Which leads to number four. I realize in the outline I neglected to email point number four. You can write this one in. Repentance involves trusting in God's mercy. Trusting in God's mercy. Psalm 51, again, David prays, have mercy on me, O oh God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, right? David doesn't offer excuses, explanations, you know, but come on, God, you got to understand, I'm just a guy and I wrote all those Psalms, come on, don't I get a little, give me a he doesn't do any of that, he just begs for mercy and instead, what does he appeal to? There's not anything on his side, like I did this or I'm that guy, you know. He instead appeals to God's love, to God's mercy. His hope in finding mercy is not something about him. His hope of finding mercy is something about God. That God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding In love. That's our hope. That he's that kind of God. Our hope is on him. Not something about us. That Jesus who had no sin. Took our sin and guilt. Punishment on the cross. And he made a way for us to find forgiveness. And mercy. And healing and freedom. So we give up on ourselves and we cling to Jesus. It's his side, his work, what he's done, his cross, and his mercy that provides the basis for our hope. And it is a strong basis for hope. Because that is our foundation for mercy and forgiveness. And so we have assurance First John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not because we deserve any of this, but because that's who he is. That's what he does. That is our gospel. That is our hope <laughs> that he died for sinners and offers mercy. And forgiveness. And so we worship and celebrate him. You see, the gospel is sweet and glorious news for those who feel they need mercy. There's mercy to be found. And that is good news if you believe you need it. If you don't believe you need it, uh, it's like, okay, you know, I'm not really, you're not in that market. You're not shopping for that. But if, for those of us who are in the market of finding mercy, this is good and glorious news. A couple more thoughts. You have to believe that God is gracious and merciful. You have to believe this to be true, to live a life of repentance. Remember the John Orberg story in the mauve sofa? Um, Repentance is really hard if you feel like your head's going to get chopped off if you confess what you just did, right? It's really hard. You're just going to stay silent. But if you believe that on the other side of that repentance, there's grace and forgiveness, then you are freed to repent. If you believe that God wants to forgive, that God delights to give mercy, If you believe that Jesus already died on the cross for our sins and offers it to you, well, that's what empowers you to repent. How do you know if you believe that? How do you know if you believe that God is gracious and merciful? Let me give you a sign. Those who believe that God is gracious and merciful are quick to repent. They are quick to repent. They are not afraid to repent. Our readiness to repent shows what we believe about God. And by being quick to repent, we honor him by professing through our actions. You are are merciful. You are rich in love and abounding in kindness. And so I will run to you even in my sin. Number two, th- just one more thought, that is, you know, we've heard this good news. I'm sure, of course, Eric, I'm sure has been preaching wonderfully about it. Jesus offers forgiveness, and there's healing, and you don't, he, you know, there's mercy, and there's love at the foot of the cross, yes, 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 but as wonderful as that is, the problem for many Christians is we don't experience that love, and grace, and mercy in our lives. Not that you would never heard it before. Is that we don't experience it. And let me suggest to you. Repentance is the path. To experiencing. The mercies of God. You don't just need to. Hear about the medicine. You got to take the medicine. (laughs) You got to take the. You you got to. This is the path. To experiencing it. That in a life of repentance. We find freedom from guilt. You don't. You don't have to keep carrying that around. You don't have to live with that. You can lay it down. This is a path toward finding freedom from temptation because because sin is, the light gets turned on, the the deceit is exposed, and what was once so tempting, you're like, I
1: don't
0: know if I want that anymore. You know, no thank you for that. Like, you're freed from the grip of temptation. It doesn't have to hold you so seductively and tightly. It's, a, its deceitfulness can be exposed. And this is how we turn to and see Jesus. Where we feel his acceptance. We feel his love. We feel God's hug. It's not just hearing the words, God loves you. You feel his Years ago, a church member sent me this email. He said, you know, I was thinking about something I saw on Dateline. This is a few years ago. On Dateline, about a month ago, they do these specials about sexual predators. Anyways, they catch them at their mock homes and basically confront them. And there was this one guy, married and a father, that really pleaded to the host to please forgive him and said he would never do it again. I mean, you could really tell in his eyes that he was desperate. He was caught red-handed, and he would do anything to get out of this situation, because he knew that once he gets out of the house, he'd be arrested. I mean, he was on his hands and knees, crying and pleading, and then I saw that I was him as well. The feeling that that's how sinful we are, huh? And with that much wrongdoing, sin, and shame in our hearts, that Jesus could take all that away from us and put it on his own so that we could be clean. I guess you constantly have to see how much of a depraved individual you are to make you realize how much God loves you. I guess you have to realize how much of a depraved sinner you are to make you realize how much God loves you. Repentance is the path to experiencing an amazing, merciful, abundant love. Well, I think I've said enough. And what I'd like to do is to give us some time to take the medicine. I'd like us to have some time to repent. And I have some questions that I'd like to offer you just by way of prompting our own hearts to consider our sinfulness. To stop excusing and defending and rationalizing but to take a few moments to invite the Holy Spirit to say, Search me and know my anxious thoughts. Test me, see, expose what is inside of me. Help me see my sin that I might more fully see your mercy. I'm going to invite um, someone just to give us a little music here. And would you just very. Prayerfully consider these questions. Number one, do you worry and are consumed by anxiety, doubting God's care and provision for you? Are you crushed by criticism and become defensive at any perceived slight? Are you driven to performance and to impressing others? Do you neglect to pray or only pray in public and seldom in private? Are you critical, harsh with others? Plain? Do you grumble? Do you withhold forgiveness from those who have hurt you? Do you compare yourself with others and derive a sense of value or worthlessness? find your value in your position or possessions? Do you direct your time and energy and thoughts Toward securing earthly treasures and security. Well, those questions are also printed in the front of your bulletin and like to give you just a few more moments to, to confess your sins before the Lord, to invite the Holy Spirit to lead you. We would take the medicine and and find healing, find hope. Alright, just take a few more moments. As we've confessed our sins Look again to these words of assurance Romans 8 There is therefore now No condemnation For those who are in Christ Jesus No condemnation Psalm 103 For as high as the heavens are above the earth So great Is your steadfast love To those who fear him As far as the east Is from the west So far does he remove our transgressions from us. We rejoice. There is mercy to be found, and that is a celebration for those who realize they need mercy. Let's pray together. Lord, we confess that we are people who need mercy. We don't see our sins well, but Lord, for this moment right now, Lord, we look. And we invite your spirit to expose our hearts and we confess these sins of vanity and selfishness and criticalness and unforgiveness in our hearts. Lord, we confess them before you without excuse. And we beg, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. And, and we rejoice that there is mercy. That because of Jesus, because of your abounding love and steadfast love and abounding mercy, that there is forgiveness, no condemnation. That as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our sins from us. We rejoice as people who have found mercy. And so we worship you. Receive all glory and honor as the merciful God who delights to forgive Sinners In Christ Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thank you, Paul. That was powerful. Uh, we've been talking over the past few months about renewal. And there is, there is no renewal. We can't experience renewal, as we've been powerfully reminded this morning, without repentance. This meal, the Lord's Supper, Communion... Together with the Word, this meal has the power to turn us. It's been called before a conversion ordinance, which is like a synonym for repentance. This, the Word preached to us and this sacrament offered to us can take our lives and turn us so that we see the bigness, the ugliness of our sin, but the even greater bigness and beauty of our Savior. Who can come to partake and eat this meal To all those who have cried out for mercy to God and know that He is merciful in His Son, Jesus. Those who have professed their faith in Jesus, who have repented and turned towards Him and who have uh, entered into His church through baptism, through profession of faith. If you are here and that is you, you are welcome. You might be here and you might still be investigating, exploring. We're so glad that you are here. We want this to be a very safe place for you to ask questions about Jesus and to explore the Christian faith. I want to encourage you during this time, uh, we wouldn't want this to be an empty ritual for you, for you to feel like this has to be an awkward moment. I would want you to take this time to consider the words of the sermon, There are some prayers for you on page seven, and to take this time as some extra reflection time for you. Where do you stand with with God to pray through that? Every time we celebrate the Lord's uh, Supper, it's another chance for us to profess what we believe. We do that by reading together together the words of the Apostles' Creed, to remember God's response to a sinful and broken world. That is our hope. That is what we profess. Would you stand with me as we read together? It's on page 6, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give Him thanks and Amen. Please be seated. The night that our Lord Jesus was betrayed, He took bread. After giving thanks, He broke it and He said, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, He took the cup and He said, This cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me, for as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. The words of institution, therefore we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. Amen. A few words of instruction on how we celebrate communion here. We form two lines down the center aisle. You'll see a bowl of bread. Take a piece of bread. Someone will be serving you uh, the cup. Take a cup, take the bread and the cup, return back to your seat, and we'll all share together as a community. Steve, would you come forward to assist in serving? The gifts of God for the people of God as you're ready.
2: Will your grace run out if I let you down? Because all. I am a sinner. If it's not one thing, it's another. Caught up in words, tangled in lies. You are a savior, and you take brokenness aside and make it beautiful. Beautiful. Will you call? When I tell you lies Cause all I know Is how to cry Cause I am a sinner If it's not one thing Another caught up in words, tangled in lies.
1: But you are a savior, and you take brokenness
2: aside and make it beautiful. i am a sinner if it's not one thing it's another caught up in words tangled in lies but you are a savior and you take brokenness aside and make it beautiful. I am a sinner. If it's not one thing, if it's another. Caught up in words, tangled in lies. But you are a savior, and you take brokenness aside and make it beautiful. Beautiful. You make it beautiful. You make it beautiful. You make it beautiful. You make it beautiful. I. It's not one thing, it's another Caught up in words, tangled in lies But you are a Savior and you take brokenness aside And make it beautiful, beautiful
1: body of Christ broken for you, take and eat. The blood of Christ shed for you, take and drink. Would you stand with me? We'll close with a communion prayer and then a final song together. Our prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us to your table where we remember how you welcome us no matter how far off we wander. Thank you for running to us, even at our worst, and showing us that there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Jesus. Fill us with renewed joy in your abundant grace. In Jesus' name, amen.